Welcome to another episode of the Bible Toolbox. I'm Lydia. And I'm Luke. And we're here to help you enjoy the Bible through the tools that scholars and programmers have created for you. And today is a, we're going to look into a tool that's maybe not in the front of your mind, but we have Dr. Keith Stenglin with us today, who is the executive director of the Center for Christian Studies in Austin, Texas, and is a part-time professor of historical theology at the Harding School of Theology. And one of his specialties is the history of biblical interpretation. And so that's um, why we have him on today. So welcome, Keith. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you for the invitation. Glad to be here with y'all. Yeah. So why don't you uh, just give us a short bio? Uh, How did you get to this point in your life? Okay. Um, That could be a very long uh, (laughs) response. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what you mean by this point, but uh, I have taught um, in higher ed um, Christian universities and seminaries uh, full-time for 16 years. um, And just the last three years, I've been teaching uh, part-time. And as you mentioned, I'm the director uh, of the Center for Christian Studies. This is a a nonprofit ministry that aims to produce good resources for churches. So I think in some ways, not unlike uh, what you guys are doing with with your podcast and uh, the Bible Toolbox, that the name of it, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So uh, we yeah produce uh, a journal and uh, video courses and uh, books for uh, Bible study groups in churches, basically for lay people uh, is our our real um, primary target. So uh, that's what I do full time. Uh, my interest in uh, the Bible and in, in Bible study in uh, particularly the scholarly aspect of that, I guess, goes back a long way, as does my interest in church history. So uh, I got to this point in uh, through uh, many different paths and means uh, over the years. But those are my main interests and they intersect very well, of course, with the history of biblical interpretation. So I don't know if I answered your questions there, uh, but I'm happy to answer any others or be more specific. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. That's great. So when you say like history of Bible interpretation, what do you mean by that? Like what, what do you study? Yeah. So in this, this particular field in um, in a book I I wrote on this that I think you've read um, is about the history of how uh, people before us and particularly Christians before us, have interpreted the Bible. So you've got biblical studies there where you're studying the Old Testament and the New Testament as your primary source. And then uh, you've got the study of how people since then have received and interpreted and applied and what they've said about uh, Scripture. So it's your primary source becomes not the Old Testament or the New Testament, but the church fathers or medieval theologians or whatever period you're studying. That's the history of biblical interpretation. So it's studying the people and what they've said about the Bible. Okay. 
So in that sense, it, it is the intersection of church history and, and biblical studies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, convince us that that work is important. Don't I just yeah. need the Bible? Why do I have to, why do I care how other people have interpreted it before me? Yeah, good. Uh, <laughs> getting right to the point. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in, in many uh, churches, and, and I'm grateful for this, you don't have to justify study of the Bible, right? You, you go into it and everyone assumes that this is important to study the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, maybe we should uh, give reasons for it and justify it more than we do. Maybe we're assuming something that also can't be assumed. But I'm just saying in most uh, uh, denominations, in most churches, uh, you don't have to justify opening up the Bible and spending time uh, studying it. But as you say, what's the justification for spending time doing this? Why is this important? I think you could make the case uh, from a couple of directions. One is just to emphasize the importance of uh, historical study. To study history is important for many reasons. And church history specifically for Christians is, is very important. Uh, I could go on a tangent there if you want and talk about the the importance of studying church history uh, in just a moment, if you like. But there's that angle. The other is um, I think it's important that as Christians uh, who have received this gift of Scripture uh, from God through the the means of humans um from millennia ago and down through the centuries, uh, we've received this gift that as a revelation of, of God to us, I don't believe it was ever meant to be a, a biblical study that is an engagement with scripture, ever meant to be a solitary or individualistic exercise. So um, maybe most of the time we get by just me and my Bible and God, right? But God has called us into a community. Um, he has called us out of ourselves and out of the world to be a part of a body, uh, the church, for many reasons. One of those many reasons is that, I believe, so that we can um, interpret scripture in community. So if I run into a scripture that's uh, difficult to understand, and has that ever happened? You know, have you ever run into a, a scripture that is difficult or you wonder if you're interpreting this correctly or applying it correctly? Yeah, it happens all the time. All right. Uh, what do we do? Well, um, we could pray about it. And I think that's a good starting point for sure. And we uh, trust that we will get insight from uh, God's spirit. But I think we would be wise also to consult the Spirit-filled community. One of the ways God reveals to us and His Spirit works in us is through this body I just mentioned that is filled with the presence of the Spirit and can give us insight. And so most of us understand if we don't under that if we don't get or grasp something in Scripture, or we're puzzled by something, we would do well to consult others. It's not just me and my Bible. And so who are those others? Well, it might be someone at our church that has uh, wisdom, that we think has wisdom in these matters, uh, and we think can provide some insight to us. So that's that's great. 
we may go to commentaries and consult people who have uh, studied the whatever historical contexts or other aspects of scripture and we know may provide insight to us. Well, for most scholars, even that's often where it stops. We may consult someone in our church, someone who has uh, greater wisdom than we have, and we may consult a commentary. And a lot of people are taught that the latest and greatest commentary is the one or the ones you should be studying. Anything that's over 20 years old, you know, is hopelessly outdated now. <laughs> uh what history of biblical interpretation does is simply expand that community to people who are dead, <laughs> people <laughs> who wrote more than 20 years ago, right? And so that's what church history does as well. Historical theology invites to the table uh, our spiritual ancestors. All we're doing here is inviting to the table our spiritual ancestors for a specific conversation about not just theology in general or the wisdom of living a, a Christian life, but about biblical interpretation in particular. So another way of putting this in short is if we are interpreting the Bible, why would we just limit it to the people who happen to be walking around or the people who we have the latest commentary from? We shouldn't ignore them. Um, but we should also invite to the table table people who uh, who have gone before us. And because they lived in a different culture um, across the world in a different time and place and had different presuppositions, may have different and enlightening perspectives and may challenge us in ways that reading a modern commentary, would not and may have perspectives that we do find enlightening and, and spiritually edifying. And I found that to be the case when I invite those people to the table, that we often get that different perspective. And so that, I think, just in a nutshell, is the importance both of church history, um, but specifically on this question of biblical interpretation. Most of the time, these people who, uh, pre-moderns particularly, who studied and wrote about the Bible, knew the Bible better than most of us mm. know it, uh, because they memorized it, they took it to heart, uh, they weren't distracted in ways that we are. Uh, many of them were much more spiritual, and I'll just say more sincere and devout believers then I'll just speak for myself, then I am, okay? Um, and I'm not bragging about that. I'm just saying, why would we not tap into their wisdom and those resources? Yeah, because it's like well, we can see the the wisdom and trust the people we're going to church with, and so it might be easier for us to just go ask somebody that we know. And it takes a bit of trust to go back to people that we don't know and read their work and decipher for ourselves and than with people who are still living, if we can even trust them in what they're saying. But there's so much benefit that we miss if we don't even try. Yeah, that's right. And it is more effort. I mean, you're sort of alluding to the fact that it is easier to talk to somebody who is right there in front of us um, and, and get that insight. But I think we're missing out on a lot if we don't put that effort into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why don't we go through? So okay, in your book, 
which is the letter and spirit of biblical interpretation from the early church to modern practice. Um, in, in that you go through different periods and you give kind of insights or, or things uh, that define their practice of interpreting the Bible. Uh, so you just talked about how we can gain insight from all these different people and periods. So tell us about what insights we can gain throughout church history in these different periods. I mean, just briefly, right? We're not going to be able to go yeah. in depth on any of these. Uh, and maybe maybe something like who's a who's a key theologian of that time who is important in interpreting the Bible. Yeah. So uh, as you say, this uh, is like a whatever 250 page book on this. And so we won't, uh, I'll try not to recapitulate the whole thing. here. But, <laughs> um, and even it, of course, scratches the surface uh, of what there is. This, the, this book is uh, my attempt at a kind of bit of a survey, um, uh, bird's eye view here. So I'll just say uh, there are lots of things we could say about it, but in some ways, this the story I think is is told better uh, in contrast to a modern way of reading the Bible, um, a way that um, I think many of us were taught. I know I was taught, um, sort of undergraduate and seminary studies, as the primary way to read the Bible is the way um, modern scholars read the Bible. Um, a kind of a historical, contextual, um, critical uh, reading of Scripture, which strives to be as objective as possible in a scientific kind of sense, which approaches the Bible uh, with as little prejudice as possible in the sense of with as little um outside influences, and it is just sort of me, the scholar, and this text of Scripture, and the meaning of Scripture is, is uh, Im embedded in, embodied in, and limited to what the human author of that text meant. So whatever the author of Genesis meant when he wrote that book, or whoever the final compiler or editor was of that book, when it was written and it's fine, it came to us in its final form, whatever was meant there is all that that means and nothing more than that. Uh, that is, as I say, a, a modern way of reading scripture. Um, and it's not the traditional Christian way of reading scripture. So what you find when you open uh uh, the books of, of pre-moderns who are reading scripture, that they're much more open than, than most modern scholars, anyway, to uh, what's called spiritual readings and interpretations of scripture. Sometimes these are called allegorical uh, readings. Um, I would just also call them Christological readings, particularly of the Old Testament. So the question here is sort of somewhat connected to, is the Old Testament a Christian book? Obviously, it was a Jewish book first, but as Christians come along and in the early church have our own New Testament, what's later called New Testament scriptures, the early church struggled with 
how and in what way is the Old Testament our scripture? After all, it never mentions by name Jesus Christ. Now, the word Christ or Messiah, anointed one, is in there, but it's not in its original context, apparently, a reference to Jesus of Nazareth, right? Um, and so what do you do with this? Well, early Christians read the Old Testament Christologically. They saw it as a promise of Jesus Christ that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, fulfilled in what God was doing in Christ. And we see that sort of interpretation in the New Testament itself. So in the New Testament, when when those writers are reading and quoting from the Old Testament, they are by and large reading it Christologically. The key text here is Luke chapter 24, at the end of Luke 24, when Jesus uh, was on the road with the two to Emmaus, and it says that he was um, uh, speaking about the scriptures and their hearts burned while within them while he was opening the scriptures to them. And then later in that chapter, when he was speaking to his disciples, he said, everything that's written about me in the law and the prophets uh, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then it says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. In other words, what was he opening their minds to? Well, it wasn't, you know, to be better scientists and scholars when it comes to historical backgrounds. He didn't open their mind to a documentary hypothesis about the Pentateuch or whatever else. He opened their minds, it says, to see that Everything written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms, that is the entire Old Testament, is a reference, is a is to be fulfilled in Christ. And so from Jesus himself comes this hermeneutic or interpretive approach that, um, that interprets the Old Testament as pointing to Christ. So that's the insight, especially of the pre-modern church. We see it in the early church, the spiritual, I would just call them uh, Christological readings. In some ways, the New Testament doesn't need to be read Christologically because it's already on its surface Christological. <laughs> Jesus Christ is very clearly the center and the scope of the New Testament. But all the early church is saying is that he's also the scope and center and focus of the Old Testament as well. And that's what distinguishes a Christian reading of the Old Testament from any other, including a um, strict Jewish uh, or rabbinic reading of the Old Testament. So the history is of the spiritual readings, these uh, Christological readings becoming a little more systematic. Origen of Alexandria is a particularly uh, important figure in this history, third century theologian, the greatest mind of the early church, uh, who begins, he's sort of the first Christian to think about and articulate a method of biblical interpretation. People had interpreted the Bible before him, of course, but to sit back and ask the question and answer it, how do we interpret the Bible? What's our method of doing this? We've got literal uh, senses of scripture and we've got these spiritual senses over here. He's the first to do that. So he's an important figure along the way. I talk about him at some length in my book. Augustine, as he is in many other ways, uh, an important theologian, is important in this history. Um, and then and there are several medievals uh, that I talk about who 
work to systematize this spiritual interpretation of the text. Then the story of the Reformation, and particularly the modern period, is a reaction against legitimate concern, and that is, what are the controls on a spiritual interpretation? What's to keep someone from allegorizing anything, and then really reading into scripture anything you want? Mm -hmm. Okay, and people had gone overboard in doing that, and there seemed to be, in some ways, little control over biblical interpretation and what people could read into it. And so you had others reacting against that, putting more focus and emphasis on the literal sense of the text and what the human author meant, which I think was a good balance. But the story of history, including church history, is often one of pendulum swings. And so I would argue there's a an overreaction against those spiritual interpretations so that the post-Reformation period and the Enlightenment tried to curtail all of those, let's call it allegory run amok by saying there's no such thing in the text as a spiritual interpretation, or at least no legitimate spiritual interpretation. It's only what the human author meant. And that's where the modern historical critical approach landed on that. So that's why in my book, I really try to emphasize what we can learn not just from the history in general, but especially the pre-modern history, which seems to be a little more foreign to a lot of mm -hmm. uh, more modern approaches that a lot of us have learned maybe in, in school. Yeah. So how does, how does a lay person, because it's such a foreign world, how mm -hmm. do, how does a lay person dip their feet and gain the benefits from these historical figures and um, ancient voices of the past. Is there a an easy route to to do that? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know how easy we're looking for here, but um, as we've already said, it's going to be slightly more labor intensive than going to a living person next to you and saying, hey, what do you think about X? Okay. So, um, and that goes with anything when it comes to history is if it were easy, I think more people would know more about history. We live in a culture that does not value history and um, its resources, except often as a bludgeon or something to prop up our own agenda, but to engage history in order to learn from it and sit at the feet of these people is uh, sort of a rare discipline and exercise. Uh, as is reading. So let me just say, in, in short, my advice would be take up and read. So um, do you have a willingness to read is what I would ask someone, because just to read a book, particularly an old book, is often now regarded as a kind of scholarly activity. Um, do you get what I'm saying? People don't read as much as they used to. What we read is often, people who do read, uh, it's often just on a screen and it's skimmed and it's a few hundred words and it's accompanied by images. So to ask someone to read an old book or even to read the Bible often is seen as kind of a step up here. Hmm. So, you know, make time to read. I would um, tell someone, and then find good translations of old books. 
Now, often this is going to mean going to people you know to find these resources. If I just send someone who is, let's say, a lay person on this, a non-specialist on this question, uh, and send them off to the internet to find the, the right book on Amazon, uh, that may not end well and may end up being, being discouraging to them. But find good translations, that is modern translations of good old books. Uh, I love C.S. Lewis's um, advice, and that is for every new book you read, read an old book also. So sort of like the discipline of you like reading new books. Okay. Um, intersperse in there with each new book and old book. For me, you have to uh, encourage, I have to encourage, encourage myself to do the opposite. I'm going to read the old book. <laughs> I should read a new book probably every once in a while too. <laughs> but yeah, read a book from someone who is deceased, let's say just as a starter for a, an old book, you know, old is relative. But yeah, I would say there are resources like <clears throat> ancient Christian commentary on scripture which is a multi-volume um, set of books that goes through um, each book of the Bible and just uh, collects uh, uh, comments from ancient Christians on these texts. So you've got a section on Genesis 1, and uh, the modern editor has collected comments from Augustine and Origen and Jerome and all of these folks on Genesis 1. And then the commentary goes to Genesis 2. And so there are lots of sources there. We have something similar with the Reformation commentary on Scripture, which does the same thing with 16th century uh, scholars. Uh, there's uh, the Church's Bible is a series that does something similar. So those resources are there. Um, the the challenge there is that you're getting only excerpts. So I would encourage you when you do that uh, to uh, go back to the source itself and get the context, not just the one paragraph that they chose to include there. Um, another challenge is that you may not know how to deal with these comments. So if you're reading you know, um, a section from Genesis 14, and you, you read, you know, that the 318 men that uh, Abram, uh, that were his servants, uh, really means Jesus and the cross. And you'll see this comment uh, in the ancient Christian commentary on Genesis 14. As a modern person, you don't know what to do with that. <laughs> so that's why I recommend a book like The Letter and Spirit of Biblical Interpretation uh, that I wrote, which is just to say, it, one thing it does is equip people on how to read these pre-modern works. But that's what I would do. If you're teaching a Bible class or you're just in personal Bible study, if you are inclined to have a commentary to your side, a recent commentary, let's say, why not be inclined to have a uh, an ancient or Reformation era, an older commentary to your side as well. You've got one on your right hand, have one on your left hand while you're reading you know, the Bible on your lap there and see what they have to say. And it might be something very different and um, actually very encouraging, like I said, and illuminating. But it's it's engaging those books. That's that's the the, the simple answer if there is one. 
And if you don't know where to start, I would just say familiarize yourself with older theology. Start with the Apostolic Fathers. Read, these are the oldest Christian books we have outside the New Testament. Just read them. They're understandable. A non-specialist can read and understand these very ancient books. And then pick up Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Origen, Gregory of Nyssa, 4th century theologian who writes a book called The Life of Moses. It's probably the greatest, uh, just kind of one volume uh, example of allegorical interpretation of a familiar Old Testament story. Mm. It's great. Um, Augustine. All of these, yeah, just uh, pick up and read is is my advice. You have a favorite person to go back and read in your free time? Um, I probably just mentioned uh, some of them there. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I've read Gregory Vinicius' Life of Moses several times. That's that's the example when I teach this course, History of Biblical Interpretation. That's the, uh, I mean, there are many other readings, but that's, I would just regard as the best one volume example um, of mm-hmm. of early Christian allegorical interpretation so that's that's the one if someone were wanting to read something and just see the approach and the style here of early christian interpretation christological interpretation of the old testament Mm -hmm. and that's probably the one i would recommend but yeah uh all of these older theologians i mean origin is terrific and i think very fascinating um and has meant a lot to me so yeah. So you've already kind of talked about it, but just bring it to a close here. Yeah. Um, how has reading church history and Bible interpretation over the centuries helped you enjoy the Bible yourself? Yeah. So, yeah, I'll just reiterate that um, the history of Christian thought is the history of biblical interpretation. So just being interested in church history um, illuminates not only theology and what I believe and it expands my horizons and understanding, but specifically when it comes to um, uh, understanding and teaching and applying the biblical text. So yeah, it can be illuminating to invite all of these different perspectives to the table. And I'm not about just inviting different perspectives for the sake of different perspectives. Um, I think it's important that these are uh, Christian perspectives, not just any perspective uh, on scripture, but the perspective, as I said, of our Christian ancestors, people who really did have the spiritual life as their priority um, in their communion with God and their um their service and ministries to the church. These were their priorities. People like that, I'm interested in reading and seeing what they have to say about the Bible. And so engaging those works just gives a lot of, I think, insight into our own identity as Christians, that we are part of a tradition, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we believe it or not, whether we study it or not. We are influenced uh, by our past and uh, by the the people, the Christians who have gone before us, they shape the way we read the Bible. So it can never just be the Bible in me. When we pick up 
a, a the Bible and read from a passage of scripture, particularly one we've heard something about before, we can't help but be influenced by those traditions of interpretation that have come before us. It's not an accident that we read scripture in certain ways and not others. So uh, digging into that, learning about it, learning why we read scripture the way we do and what the alternatives are and just being aware of that, I think is very helpful. And just with, I'll just close this, this conclude uh, this question by saying it gives us wisdom. It gives us historical perspective. And I think there's nothing um, probably more important for Christians to have um, in these challenging times than wisdom, than historical perspective that gives us a much better, per historical perspective gives us a much better perspective on our own time and place and where we are in, like I say, that pendulum swing mm -hmm. and how we should be reacting to the things going on around and engaging the, the world around us. Um, scripture gives us a lot of resources for that. And so does the history of people who have written about scripture. Thank you for all the work that you've done in culminating it all for us and curating it for, for this book. And hopefully it can be helpful and uh, inspire people to go dig in for themselves to see taste and see yeah i hope so <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode of the bible toolbox all of the resources mentioned in this episode are posted on our website thebibletoolbox.com there you can also find out more information on how to give and support us and we have loved all of the encouragement and feedback we've received from you so thanks so much